Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Well, hey there. Good morning, guys. Welcome to Redemption. If you are new here or you're a guest, thank you guys so much for gathering with us. My name is Byron. I get the privilege each and every week to be able to serve here by doing what I love the most, which is to teach the Bible. So thank you guys so much for giving me this opportunity. We're in week two of a three-week series over the topic of prayer. And the reason why we want to start off with this is because uh, we want to refocus, reorient all of our lives around who God is and what God has done for us so that way we can grow to become people of prayer. And so that's why we're doing it. And um, going with some updates for prayer, I got a few updates for you. Um, First is uh, we've created a 21-day prayer and fasting guide for you. So last week I challenged everyone to spend the next 20 days, uh, 21 days in prayer and fasting for our church. So we have a guide for you. It's a 21-day devotional. It's our gift for you. It's completely free over at the Connect Desk. To go along with that, we also created a dream guide. No, it's not to interpret your dreams, but it's to help you set some God-sized goals for this year. And uh, so that's another gift for you. It's available at the Connect Desk. In addition to that, we also opened up Sunday mornings for Sunday morning prayer. So at 9.50, we'd invite you to come and pray with us as a church. And every single week, we pray for three things, for our city, our gathering, and our team. And so there's a, those are just a couple of things that we're doing as a church uh, to, to help us grow into becoming people of prayer. And the reason why we want to do this is a couple of reasons. Um, first is we believe that everything starts with prayer. See, a lot of times our problems wouldn't actually be problems, but more opportunities if we would just learn to go to God first. If we would learn to go to God first, if we would go to God often, because everything for us as Christians should start with prayer. And then secondly is last year could have been, for some of you, the most amazing year of your life. 2016 was amazing. You got married, you had kids, found a new church, right? You got a new job, you traveled. 2016 could have been a great year for you. But for others of us, 2016 was the worst year of our lives. That we lost family members, we lost friends, we lost jobs. So 2016 could have been great, could have been horrible, and we know that the exact same thing is going to happen for some of us in 2017. That for some of you, 2017 is going to be the highlight of your life. For some of you, 2017 is going to be hell. And so what prayer and fasting does is it allows us as a church to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. It centers us together corporately as a community to be there for the needs of the people in our church. So prayer and fasting. And the third reason that we do it is because every great move of God started with prayer. Every amazing move that God has done has begun with prayer. And guys, we believe that redemption is to be a gospel movement for this city. That God wants to change our lives. He wants to change our city, the nation, and the world in which we live in. That if all we're doing is just hanging out here, singing some cool songs, drinking coffee in the back, listening to a TED Talk, whatever, no lives will be changed from that. But it's when we pray that God moves in our lives where he changes us where we get to be the gospel movement that God has called us to be. We exist to join God in the renewal of all things. God wants to do something in this church, in this city, and in your lives. And so everything begins with prayer and fasting. So while you're praying for your church, 
I got a couple of things that I'd invite you to consider while it is that you pray. Throw them up there. So first is 2017. Let's be in prayer as a church for this. First, let's pray for a building. Now, we love the gig. We love the gig. We love our partnership with Beaumont Entertainment and all of the opportunities that it allows for us to, to be unique in the city and for people to come feel welcomed. We love that. But you do know that this is not always going to be our home. Right? This is where we started, but God has something for us to grow into. And so be praying for a building so that way we can lay some gospel roots down in this city. So that way people know that we love them, that we're here, and that we're not going anywhere. So pray for a building. And if you really want to get specific in your prayers, I'll give you a couple. Um, first is pray that there's plenty of room for redemption kids. Right now, kids are safe, kids have fun, but we need more room because there's more kids coming every week. And so be praying for plenty of space for redemption kids to love Jesus, have fun, be creative. Pray for that. In addition, pray for a nice stage with a great sound system. That would be amazing. Pray for that. Pray for it to be downtown. We love downtown. It's where we want to be at. So pray God opens doors for a building in the downtown area. And pray that it's free. That would be amazing. How great is our God? All right? Amen. So pray for a building. Second, let's pray for our budget. Um, last year, we hit some great giving goals as a church. We gave away 10% of all of our resources. We, uh, we, we bought backpacks and, and clothes for the homeless and for the impoverished, jackets, blankets, Christmas gifts, and water filtration systems for, for villages in Haiti. We hit some big giving goals when it comes to our generosity. And so this year, let's pray that God would increase our, our generosity, that as the church grows, our generosity will follow with it. I pray all the time that our vision is bigger than our budget. Amen? Because if, you're, if, you're, if your budget's bigger than your vision, then you're not trusting God for it. And so we've put out just as much as we took in. So be praying this year that we hit some good goals in 2017 when it comes to our budget. So 2016 giving statements are going to be hitting the mail this week, next week. So you should be getting yours. And so be praying, what is it that God has me to give to my church this year? We're finalizing our budget for the 2017 year. So if, if you can, do us a favor. Please give online. Um, by making reoccurring gifts, that allows us to be able to figure out the budget a little bit more about what comes in, what goes out. It just helps your church to be able to be a good steward of your generosity. So be praying for your budget. And then lastly, biblical growth. Now, I'm a preacher, so everything has three points, and it all has to start with the same letter, so biblical growth. We want to see redemption grow, because living things grow. And so we want to be a church of biblical growth, not just because it's cool and because people are just coming because they hear it, whatever. But biblical growth means disciples making disciples. That Jesus would change your life so radically, so passionately, that it's contagious to those you live around. That's what we want. Biblical growth. For more people to come and meet Jesus. For more people to experience life change through Christ. For the Holy Spirit to empower more people to live as missionaries in their city. So be praying for those three things, for a building, a budget, and biblical growth, okay? So let's start off in prayer, all right? Series over prayer, starting with prayer. Awesome, okay. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the wonderful gift that you have given us in your son, Jesus, that you have forgiven our sins, that you have given us new life, that you have given us new purpose with you. Jesus, you have opened the door for reconciliation with the Father through our prayer, so now we can pray boldly to you. God, we pray for our church. 
for all the people in it, for all the people who have yet to come, that they would experience the joy that comes from worshiping you. God, we pray today that this sermon would, would speak to those in this room, that we would see prayer as a, as a delight and not an obligation or a duty or something that we have to do, but that we get to do because we have such an amazing God. Lord, teach us to pray for the things that you have taught us to pray for and give us the ability to be able to be the difference in the world we live in. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So the other day, um, Ashley and I were discussing with our family um, what our New Year's resolutions were going to be. Um, do any of you guys make resolutions? Anybody? Okay, good. Good, cool. good for you. Um, Ashley and I, we, we don't make resolutions. All right? We tried it. Nothing against them. They just don't work for us. I mean, we tried. So here's what we did this year. Um, well, last year we started this thing to where we pray and then we pick a word. Okay, so we pick a word that we feel as if God's leading us to define the year by, and then we make decisions to kind of use that as a filter for everything that we do. And, uh, and, and so we pray, we get the green light, and then we start to try to figure out what it looks like. So last year, my word was life. Right, that was my word for the year. So I determined to do things that gave me life. If it didn't give me life, I learned the magic word, no. To only focus on things that gave me life. So what does that look like for my family? Let's have a kid. Awesome. Lots of life in that. What's going to bring life to the church? I know, we'll launch Redemption Church. So last year, February 21st, we opened the doors for redemption, and lots of lives have been changed for that. What brings me life personally? Okay, so I'm going to start riding my bike, getting a gym membership. I'm going to start reading books, writing some blogs. The things that produce life in me, that's what I determined to do. Now, what I'm not saying with this is that you should quit your job. You're like, I hate my job. Pastor Byron said quit because it doesn't give me life. That's not what I said. What I say is focus on the things that bring life to you and then realize that your job allows you to do the things you love, right? So, so you might grind away at your job, but do you love your kids, right? You work because your kids are what you love. Your house, do you like living in a house or an apartment? Yes. Do you like food? God, yes. Then you pray and then you pray and you filter these things through the decisions of what brings you life. You got it? So this year, my word is organize. Now, if you know me or you hear from the Lord, then you know that that's a word for me. Um, organized, because that's something that I'm not very good at. So I'm trying to figure out, what does it look like for me to filter decisions in my home based upon this word? What does it look like for my life? So uh, personally, so I'm trying to balance work, life, husband, father, pastor, trying to provide for my family and learn to make sense of it all. So what does it look like for our church to be organized? So that means we're going to be doing some restructuring, some reorganization, trying to put some steel beams in this thing to get the house up off the ground, opening up church membership, raising up new leaders, trying to find a place to put the truck keys so I don't lose them every single week. You know, organization, that is a good thing. Now, I know what you may be thinking. You're like, Byron, what's the difference between a resolution and a word? Isn't this kind of like splitting hairs? It's not. And I'm going to show you how it's different and why this applies to our prayer lives. Okay, so the difference between the two is this is duty versus desire. That's the difference. Have to versus get to, right? So many of us have made resolutions. You've determined this year is the year that you're going to whatever. You're going to quit smoking. You're going to drop weight. You're going to hit the gym, right? You're going to get a new job. And your resolutions could be going well for you, right? So you're up 6 a.m., hitting the gym. You're chewing a pack of Nicorette gum every day. Good for you. Good for you. 
But others of us, our resolutions, eh, not so well. Statistically speaking, only 8% of people who make a resolution actually accomplish that goal by year, by year end. 8%. And by week two, 29% have completely given up. Okay, so that means out of a room like us, 100 people, 29, we've just said, you know, next year, right? Next year is my year. But for now, I'm just going to take a Sharpie, draw through the 7 in 2017, just do a little 8 next to it, because this year is the year I just do me. And so many of us have come to this in, in this way. And so what happens is if we treat prayer with the same mindset that we come to with a resolution, we're bound to fail every single time. And the reason is, because of, it's a duty and it's not a desire. That it's something that you have to do, need to do, might want to do, but it's not something that you ultimately find joy in life in. That it's not the greatest desire in your life because we accomplish the things that, that we love. We do the things that we love and nobody can stop us from doing the things that we, we love. It's the great desire in our life. So we come to prayer like it's an obligation and not the way that we glorify God then it's going to disappoint us. We're going to become frustrated. We're going to see it as an obligation, but it's not going to be the greatest glory and joy for us. So for me, one of the greatest moments that I have in my life is this, is after a long day coming home and seeing my wife. It's the greatest moment I have. After a long day, hard day, working, and I come home and I see Ashley and I see Esther, it's the greatest moment in my life. Now, what if I, I, wa I walked into the door and Ashley, big smile on her face, threw her arms wide open. And she said, why do you love me? And I said, because I have to. Right? I'm not going to get much love from that. If I come to her and say, well, it's my, it's my obligations as a husband. It's my, it's my duty. I, I, eight years ago, I said, I do. And now I have to. Right? Not a lot of love happened in the Ella's house if I do that. But it's the same way when we come to God in prayer. Now we come to God, come home to him, and he opens up his arms and he welcomes us in. It should be the greatest desire that we have to build relationship with God through prayer. See, we don't have a problem doing the things that we love because if you love it, if it gives you joy, if it gives you life, if it gives you purpose, passion, hope, desires, I would submit to you that those are the things that you do and nobody can stop you from doing them. And even if they're difficult or they're tough or you fail, over time they become gradually increasing, natural, and it's a habit that we form because of our desires. Now, some people say you need discipline, but discipline never drives desire. Desire always is fueled through discipline. See, we get it backwards. We think, I need more discipline. No, we need more desire. And when we desire God, the disciplines will follow and so what I want to do for us today is I want to, I just want to show you how great God is, how glorious he is in all of his ways, and how amazing Jesus is, that Jesus lives for us, that Jesus died for us, that Jesus listens and serves, he changes us, that he makes a way possible for us to become people of prayer, and that Jesus doesn't just save us and leave us but he also gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us. So even when we don't know how or why we pray, he helps us in our prayers. So that way we can become people of prayer. So the big idea that I want to tackle today is this. 
why we pray. That's the idea. So I want to hit this from two perspectives. I want to hit it first from the macro level, like the big picture idea why we pray. So macro level, and then I want to, I want to bring it down to the micro, right? This is the, the day in, day out, everyday stuff of life in which Jesus teaches us as to why we are to pray. Okay, so, so the macro level, and then we're going to bring it down to the micro. In order for us to understand why we pray, first we need to understand what prayer isn't, okay? What prayer isn't? Prayer is not telling God something that he doesn't already know, okay? God knows everything. God is, God is omniscient. God's omnipresent. God is eternal. God knows everything. And so prayer need not be like, hey, God, um, I'm not sure if you know this or not, but I kind of got a situation going on down here, right? And you ever pray like that? God, I don't know if you understand, but eh, I got something happening. And God's up in heaven going like, oh, my me? I didn't know. No, God knows. God knows everything. Now, some people will push back and they'll say, well, if God is sovereign, if God is in control, and if God already knows then what's the point of prayer anyway? Why we pray if God already knows? Which really, kind of think of it, it's a silly question um, because in life, when you're going through something, who are the people you want to talk to? People who know, right? If you want to go talk to someone, you want to talk to the person who's in control. So we need to go talk to God because he's the one who knows. He's the one who's in control. And he's the one who's inviting us because he loves us. We need to talk to God. Now, on the other hand, some people don't pray. They don't talk to God because they don't want God to know. I was talking to a guy the other day. He's going through a situation, trying to make a big decision. I said, well, have you talked to God about it? Have you gone and prayed about it? He said, no, I, I can't do that. And I said, well, why not? He said, because if I, if I do that, then God's going to know. Uh, hate to break it to you, bud. God already knows. He already knows. He knows. He knows everything. He knows what you what you're going to do, what you want to do, what you did, what you don't, God knows. And so it makes sense for us to go and talk to him. Parents, you understand this, right? You know a lot about what's going on in your children's life. Oftentimes, you know more about what's happening in their life than they think you know, right? But you still want them to feel as if they can come and talk to you, that, that they can come bring to you whatever it is, whatever they're going through, and it's a safe place for them to be honest and you want to help them. You want to work with them. You want to walk with them through whatever it is. And so we can go to God because God already knows. He welcomes us. And the second thing is, is that God, that prayer isn't getting God to do something that he wouldn't normally do. That it's not like prayer is, you know, us trying to bribe God, manipulate God, twist God's arm, and get him to do something that he wouldn't normally do. Right? God's not a pinata. Prayer's not a whacking stick. And if we just take enough swings, then goodies are going to open up from heaven and we're going to get like house and car and women and clothes and everything that we want. That's not how prayer works. That's not our God. It's not as if God's some genie and if you say Jesus' name, it's like abracadabra and he has to show up and do whatever you ask because you said the magic word. Right? That's not how God works either. Our God's not some deadbeat heavenly father and if you pray loud enough, fast long enough, bug him enough, he'll finally get up off the couch and send you some child support, right? That's not our God. That's not how prayer works. It's not getting God to do something that he wouldn't normally do. His heart is turned towards you. His ear is open for you. God listens. God moves. God, God responds to the prayers of his people. 
Because God is a father. God is a good father who loves us. And that he's always working in our lives, whether we recognize it or not. So it's not getting God to do something that he wouldn't normally do. So here's what prayer is, okay? It's communicating with dad. That's prayer. It's, it's cultivating a relationship with God through communication. It's communicating with God as father. This is what we were created for. This is why we were designed to be in relationship with God. And when God made man, he made us to be in relationship with him. But through sin, our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, through yours and mine subsequently, don't think we're off the hook, we've separated ourselves from God. That while we were, yes, made in the image of God through sin, we've shattered that image and tried to put it back together the best that we could, but it's still not working. And so we need someone to come and to restore us. That's why God sent Jesus. So Jesus comes and he, he, he bridges the gap between God and man. Jesus lives the perfect life that we never could. Jesus then died the death that you and I deserve through his death, burial, and resurrection. He overcame sin, temptation, and the grave. Through his ascension into heaven, he stands at the right hand of the Father as our mediator. That Jesus makes a way for us to be in relationship with God. That's what prayer is. It's a relationship with God. And that relationship is cultivated through our prayers. And so... The big reason behind why we pray is this. Prayer changes everything. Prayer changes everything. I seriously, wholeheartedly believe that everything changes when we pray. And that's why we are to be people of prayer, because it's God's way to change who we are, the situations and the seasons and whatever it is that we're going through in our life, because God changes everything when we become people of prayer. Now, some people will push back on this, and they'll say, well, you know what? I tried that, and it didn't work, right? I listened to the preacher. I did what he said. I prayed, and nothing happened. I prayed, and, you know, the, the doctor still gave me the diagnosis I didn't ask. I prayed, and my wife still said no. I prayed, and my grades and GPA still tanked. I prayed, and the Texans still lost. I had to do it. And even there's this new pushback, even amongst the secular community and maybe skeptics. And they'll say, anytime a natural disaster, some catastrophe happens, or something's going on, whether it's racial injustice or a social injustice in this world, when it happens, everyone tends to get on Facebook or, or social media because, you know, that's the, the depths of all human wisdom and depravity. And they'll jump on social media and they'll say, prayers for all those involved. Praying for this country, praying for you and your family. And then, uh, and then someone else will jump in and they'll say, prayer is literally the least that you could do. You ever seen that? Now see, I disagree, but I understand the sentiment. I understand. Because far too long, Christians have offered prayer without offering a hand. That Christian said, I'll pray for you and then walk away. And what we need to know is that prayer is the greatest work we can do because prayer is work. And if we pray and we're not moved, then we didn't actually pray because prayer changes how we respond to situations 
And so we are to join God in his work around the world. And the way that we know what our Father wants to do is by people's prayer. So if we pray and we don't work, then we're missing out on what God is actually doing in our lives. So I understand the sentiment behind the skeptic. I understand the sentiment behind the secular person who is against prayer. I disagree with them, but I'd also disagree with the Christian who prays and does nothing. Because prayer changes everything. And I want to give you three ways from Jesus' own prayers in which he shows us that everything changes when we pray. So for the first way is this. Prayer changes us. This is what Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew, uh, Matthew 26, 39. He says, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. All right, so here's Jesus right here. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the final days of his life and his ministry. It's the last day. And this is the night where he's going to be betrayed. He's going to be arrested, tried, and soon to be crucified. The cross is before him. And he's in this garden, and he's praying. And as he prays, he's under so much anxiety, stress, and duress, the scriptures tell us that he literally sweated blood. He sweated blood. The capillaries in his head ruptured under the stress that he is in. We might be stressed. We might be under anxiety. But Jesus has experienced anxiety that many of us will not know. And Jesus spends his time in prayer. And this is what Jesus prays. He says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass, unless I drink it, your will be done. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time. And he said the same words again. So Jesus prays his prayer. He says, let this cup pass, let this cup pass, let this cup pass. Even Jesus had prayers in which God said no. I'm not saying that Jesus had to change, okay? This is one of the dangers of topical preaching, just pulling a text out and then just applying it. I'm not saying that Jesus had to change. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is without sin. Jesus is fully God, fully man. But do you see what this means? Is that even Jesus had prayers in which God said no. So maybe you're praying for something and you feel as if God's not listening, that God's not active, that God is being cruel or distant. Even Jesus had prayers which went, that went unanswered. But do you notice the difference between Jesus' Gethsemane prayer and many of our own? He closes and said, your will be done. Not my will, but your will be done. See, prayer changes who we are. It doesn't change God. Prayer changes our hearts. It doesn't change God's heart. Prayer doesn't bend God's will. It bends us to his. Have you ever been praying for something? And then you realize it's not God's will for your life? Have you ever just had your mind made up and then you take it to the Lord in prayer and he changes your heart on the matter? I remember when me and Ashley moved here from New York, this is not where we, we wanted to be, Beaumont, right? Coming back home. And we knew that God still wanted us to plant churches and so we were praying. It's like, God, where do you want us to go? God, do you want us to go to Oklahoma City? God, do you want us to go to... To, to San Francisco. God, do you want us to go back to Houston? He said, Beaumont. I said, no, I think you missed it. He said, Beaumont. And after months of arguing, let this cup pass, God changed my heart. I love this city. See, if we go to God with what we want and we're unwilling to bend to what he desires for our life, 
we miss out on everything that God wants to do. Prayer changes us. The second thing is prayer changes our situations. This is what he says in Matthew 8, 26. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So here's Jesus. Him and his disciples are in a boat in the middle of the sea, and there's a storm raging all around them. The disciples are freaking out. And they call upon Jesus and they say, are you going to do anything? And he says, oh, you of little faith. He stood up, he rebuked the sea, and then there was calm. You need to know that sometimes God moves in miraculous ways on the behalf of his people. That when we cry out to Jesus, God moves in miraculous ways based upon the prayers that we pray. Now, it's important to know this when it comes to prayer, is that prayer does not bring you around the storm, but prayer will bring you through it. That the purpose of God is not to get you around suffering, but it will sustain you with joy and peace in the midst of hell. That is why we pray, because it changes our situations. Maybe you're going through something where it just feels like all hell is breaking loose, like the storms are raging all around you, that you can't see the sun. Call out to Jesus. Say his name in faith. Speak the word of God boldly into that situation. Have faith and trust that God is going to move on your behalf. That we can stand and we can call upon the name of Jesus. And in that moment, he will bring us peace. Do you need peace? Then you need to pray. Third, he tells us this. He says, prayer changes others. This is John 17, 20, 21. I do not ask only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus, our great priest, in which he performed the perfect sacrifice for our sins. He mediates between God and man. Jesus is our high priest. And here, in Jesus' ministry, he is praying. But who is he praying for? Not for his disciples. He's praying for you. He says, for those who will believe, for all those who are going to come to faith in Jesus over the course of this life, for those who have yet to believe, for those who are going to believe, that they may be one with God and we might be a family. For those to love, know, serve, and follow Jesus. He's praying for you and me because prayers change other people. Is God still answering Jesus' prayer here? Absolutely. There are 2.2 billion people in this world who worship Jesus every single day. Even here in downtown Beaumont, here in Redemption Church, we've seen dozens of people meet Jesus. We've seen 24 people be baptized. We've sent missionaries. We've supported organizations. We've got kiddos running around upstairs. Right? We, we gather, we sing songs every single week because Jesus still changes lives. And that the prayers in which Jesus prayed, God is still answering, yes, to see as many people come to faith as possible because prayer changes other people. I want you to know, prayer changes everything. That when we pray, God moves through our prayers. It changes who we are, it changes what we're going through, and it changes the ones we love. So we need to be people of prayer. So that's the big idea behind why we pray. That's the macro level. So now what I want to do is we're going to take a little pivot, and I'm going to bring it down to the, to the micro. This is the day in, day out, everyday stuff of life in which Jesus tells us as to why we pray. Last week I challenged you to pray without ceasing throughout the day, gave you some tips, gave you some tools 
on ways to do that. So maybe now you're wondering, well, what should I pray for? Why do I need to pray? And here Jesus gives us seven reasons as to why we pray. See, much of Jesus's ministry, he didn't write a book about prayer. He, he, didn't, he didn't give these exp, you know, expositional sermons over why we pray. But rather what Jesus did is he wove prayer through his everyday life that he modeled it before the people that he lived with. Forty-two times in the Gospels that I counted, does it, showing, does, it, does it show Jesus praying? And so in this regards, prayer is more caught than it is taught. That he's teaching the disciples how to pray, why we pray, through his everyday life. And so here's seven ways in which Jesus teaches us as to why we're to pray. First is, he tells us to pray for sinners. This is what he says in Mark eleven twenty-five, And whenever you stand praying, forgive... If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also in heaven may forgive you of your trespasses. Okay, so what if they don't say, I'm sorry? Forgive them. What if they don't mean it? Forgive them. What if what they did is so destructive, so devastating, and they don't deserve it? Forgive them anyway. See, forgiveness is a hard road but it's one in which Jesus calls us to walk if we are to be more like him. Jesus teaches us that we are to forgive because we have been forgiven. Now, what I'm not saying is this. I'm not saying you need to forget, right? You don't forget. There's a difference between forgetting and forgiving, okay? So what this means is that if someone lies to you, then you don't trust them with your family secrets. If someone gossips about you, right, they don't get to be on your prayer team. If someone steals from you, don't let them do your taxes. If, you know, mom was abusive, dad was neglective, forgive them, but that means they don't get to watch the children unsupervised. See, there's a difference between forgetting and forgiving. God calls us to forgive, to build forgiveness in our lives. And see, it's something that we all struggle with. I, I understand that. I know. But it's kind of a scary thought to think that in the same way which we forgive others, God forgives us. Think about that. See, we really need to worry when, 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 when we become unforgiving because that means bitterness and resentment and we've grown indignant towards others. There's a quote when it comes to unforgiveness that always sticks out in my mind. And it says, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. That's unforgiveness. It really only hurts us. It separates us from God, his purpose for our lives. But we see here that prayer is the antidote to unforgiveness. Prayer is the antidote to the poison of our lives. And so why do we pray for sinners? Well, because we're sinners. That we once were separated from God and Jesus had to forgive us. Have we ever been rebellious, obstinate, defiant towards the will of God? Have we ever rebelled? Yes. Does Jesus still forgive us? Yes. So we need to forgive others. And when we pray for, for, for forgiveness, when we pray for sinners, essentially what we're doing is we're praying the gospel over them. That we don't earn it, we don't deserve it, but it's been given to us freely. So we need to pray. Pray for sinners. Pray for those who have sinned against us. Second, Jesus teaches us to pray for our needs. This is what he says in Matthew 7, 7 through 8. Ask and will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Okay? Maybe you're like me. Do you struggle asking for help? I do. I was walking in this morning, and there was a member for our serve team. I had my hands full, and, I, and she said, do you need some help? I said, 
I got it. I struggle with asking for help, right? And, and what I think is I can do it. I can do it better. I'm the only one who can do this. I got it. And what I do is I project that same mindset towards God when it comes to prayer. God, don't worry about this one. I got it from here. Every time I do, it fails. But I project that same thing onto God. You know what really that is? It's pride. That's what it is. It's pride. Or maybe you think, well, my prayers are insignificant. Like what I'm going through is not that really big of a deal. I'm pretty sure God has bigger things to worry about. I'm sure there's a hurricane somewhere. I'm sure there's children dying in Africa. I don't really need to pray because I don't want to bother God with my prayers. Do you know what that is? It's false humility, which really is pride. The other day I saw a kid wrestling with a candy wrapper. He, he couldn't open it up, and he was getting frustrated, so he went to his dad and said, hey, dad, can you open this? And dad said, yeah, sure. Open the candy, gave it to the kid. The kid was happy. All right, you know what the dad didn't say? I'm an adult. I have big things to worry about, not little pieces of candy for kids. Right, I got a job, I got bills, I got a house. I'm trying to save for retirement, right? No, dad didn't say that. What did he do? He opened the wrapper for the kid he loves them. See, there's nothing too big or too small for our God. Now, whatever it is, he invites us to ask because he's a good father and he loves his kids. So whether it's something big, whether it's something small, just go to God. This is an invitation to ask. Think about this. The creator of the universe says, come to me and ask. That's amazing. So we need to be people who ask. It's okay to pray for your needs. It's good to pray for your needs. Ask. Next, he says, pray against temptations. That's what he says in Matthew 26, 41. I keep dropping this thing. Watch and pray that you may not enter in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oftentimes, we go to God with apologies, with confession, and repentance. Right? That's a good thing. Repent. That is an amazing thing. It's the first sermon Jesus preached, repent. First sermon of the church at Pentecost, repent. And it should be the sermons that we preach every week at our church to repent, which means to turn from our sin and to turn to Jesus as our Savior. We need to be people of repentance. That is a good thing. That's why God gives us grace to forgive us. But did you know that grace also comes before we sin? That there is an aspect of grace which empowers us to overcome sin and temptation in our lives. That we don't have to wait till after we sin because God is available to us before we do. And Jesus teaches that we're to pray against our temptations. That this way prayer is preemptive. It's not reactive. That we're being proactive in our prayers so that way we don't have to fall into the sin and temptation of our lives. That we can pray beforehand because the empowering grace of the Holy Spirit in our lives is given to us to overcome sin and temptation. So what this means is we say, God, I know there are blind spots in my life. Help me see. God, I know that there are areas in which I struggle. Holy Spirit, empower me to overcome sin and temptations in my life. God, I, I know that I have a short temper. Help me to be patient. Lord, I know that I don't love my wife and my kids as I should. God, give me the love of a father. God, help me to love my wife as Jesus loves the church. God, I know that I, struggle, I drink too much. I I, I do too many drugs, which all drugs are too many, sorry. <laughs> God, help me to overcome sin and temptation in my life. And you know what? In that moment, grace is available for you before you sin. Jesus tells us to pray against temptations. 
Fourthly, Jesus says to pray for leaders. This is what he says. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Is everything in this world the way it ought to be? No. Is there war, injustice, famine, suffering? Yes. Is the Great Commission fulfilled? No. That means we've still got work to do. That God still wants to work in his people, through his people, for his glory, for our joy. That more people would come to know, love, serve, and follow Jesus. The harvest is plentiful, guys. There's lots of opportunities. There's lots of reasons for we, us to get off the bench and get into the mission field. That there's still people who need to hear the name of Jesus. So we've still got work to do. So what we need to be doing, we need to be praying up that God would raise up leaders in our city, in our church, that God would call godly men to pastor, men and women to serve as missionaries. We need to be praying for redemption kids. We need to be praying for our worship team. We need to be praying that God would move in his church. Jesus still changes lives, and he does so through the prayers of his people. He changes you to be the agent of change to the world around you. We need to be praying for leaders. Guys, I covet all of your prayers. As your pastor, when you pray for me, I feel it. I, I feel it. I feel it when I preach. I feel it when I prepare my sermons. I feel it when I come home. I know, I feel it whenever you guys pray for me. I covet every single one of your, your prayers. Guys, I give you my entire life. All that I am, I give to you. I give it to you. I love you. I love this church. I believe that God's going to do amazing things. This is where I'm at. Five years, 10 years, 20 years, however long God allows me to live on this earth, Beaumont's going to be my home. And this is where I'm at. Pray for leaders. Pray for the future of this church. Pray for your church. Pray for what Jesus wants to do in this world. Pray for your leaders. He says next, he says, pray for our enemies. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why is it that you think Jesus would tell us to pray for our enemies? Right? That's so backwards from what the world would teach. Right? They, you say, forget them. Right? They deserve it. Whatever they get, that's what they get. That's coming to them. But Jesus instead tells us to pray for our enemies. Why would he do that? Because when we pray for our enemies, it makes us more like Jesus and less like them. When someone speaks ill of us, maligns us, we are to pray for those who persecute us. The hardest thing that you're going to do in your life is to bless those who harm you. If you want to be tough, don't seek vengeance, seek mercy. If you want to be strong, don't sow hate, sow love. That's what Jesus teaches us to do. I mean, even think about it. But the last words on the cross that Jesus prayed was forgive them. See, you and I, we were once separated from God so much that we were, we were enemies of God. We were enemies of God, but Christ still died for us. We didn't deserve it. There's nothing that we have done. We're not good. We're separate. We don't desire God. We have no want nor hope for him apart from the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Jesus still died for us. Jesus still loved us, and he still prayed for his enemies. So we're to be people of prayer towards our enemies, and that's what's going to be the difference between the church and the world, that we pray for our enemies. Sixthly, he says, pray for our friends. 
Luke 22, 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for all you, I have prayed that you, your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, for you to strengthen your brothers. Simon Peter is Jesus's best friend. He's one of the 12 disciples. He's the leader among equals. He's Jesus's right-hand guy. He ate with them. He served with them. He did life with them. They were in the same community group together. And Jesus prayed for Peter. Do you pray for your friends? See, I got a running list um, of just people in our church and friends that I have. And every day I just go through it and say, hey, I'm praying for this person. And then what I do is I shoot him a text and I say, hey, I love you. I've been praying for you this week. Is there anything that I can do? Anything specific? And they always respond. And you know what I've noticed after a year of doing this is nobody's ever said no. Nobody's ever said, stop praying for me. People just want to be prayed for. You don't even have to believe in God. And you ask them, hey, can I pray for you? And they'll start telling you everything. And they say, yeah, pray for this. And then you just pray for them. And it's great. Pray for your friends. I love in our, in our groups that meet in homes, we just pray together. We eat good food, we study the Bible, and then at the end we just pray. We stand in a circle, we hold hands, someone gives a prayer request, we just lay hands on them, and then we pray for them. It's a beautiful, beautiful time for us to pray together as a community. If you're not in a group, I'd really encourage you to get in one. So we pray together as a community, it grows us closer to God himself. So we need to be praying for our friends. And then lastly, number seven, he tells us to pray for children, all right? This is Matthew 19, 13. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And I love this. Jesus prays for children. Right? That's awesome, right? We need to be praying for children. We need to be praying for kids. Now, unless they're your kids or you get the parents' permission, don't lay hands on children. Don't touch the kids, okay? It's a big no-no. Unless you're Jesus and you're not. Don't touch the kids. But nevertheless, we should still be praying for children and praying for your kids. Parents especially, you need to be praying for your kids. Dads, when we become fathers, God loans us a sacred title as dad. He's a great father, so we need to be fathers like dad is to us. So we need to be praying for our children. And children can teach us a lot about what it means to pray like a kid goes and talks to their dad. But children learn how to pray by looking at their parents. As you pray for your kids, your children are going to pick up what it means to have a relationship with God as Father. We need to be praying for our kids. That means after a long day of hard work, we come home, we get on our knees, and we play with our kids. At dinner, we pray with our wife, pray with our kids, and then before bed, we get on our knees and we pray with our children. Because children learn how to pray from us. See, no one's going to teach your children how to pray outside of the home. Our job at Redemption Kids is to help you make disciples at home. It's our jobs as parents to, to disciple our children, to grow our children, to teach them who Jesus is, that they might encounter him at an early age. And when we're praying for children, here's what we should be praying for. I pray this all the time. Um, I, say, I say, God, please give Esther a boring testimony. Lord, please don't let her testimony be, I did all these, don't let it be like mine. Good Lord. Protect her from the stupidity that I did. My, my prayer is that Esther would, would say, here's my story, that my mom loved Jesus, my dad loved Jesus, I love Jesus. It's not that I didn't sin, it's not that I didn't need forgiveness, because I have my own, but from an early age, I knew God was close, and I knew God was a father, and I knew that he loved me and his grace sustained me. That's the 
prayer and the testimony we should be praying for our children. Now, some of you are going to think, you're like, well, I'm single and I don't have kids, so this one doesn't apply to me. Do you know who else was single, didn't have kids, and still prayed for children? Jesus. Gotcha. You need to be praying for children, praying for the kids in our church, praying for the kids in your community group, praying for the kids in which God has called you around, offering to babysit for people who have kids so that way they can go have a good date and they can come home and they can love their kids. Offering yourself for the full community, even the children, is what God desires for our life. So we need to be praying. And maybe you don't have kids, but maybe one day you will. So you need to be praying prophetic prayers over the future children in which God's going to bless you with. Because that's going to build godly character in your life. It's going to teach you what it means to trust God as Father. So we need to be praying for our kids. Redemption Kids is probably the fastest growing, most important ministry that we do at this church. Because one day, we're going to hand this church over to them. They are the future of this church. So we need to invest in them, pray with them, work with them, serve with them, because they're going to run the city one day. They're going to run the, the, the businesses, the government. They're going to run the, the communities. They're going to run this nation, and they're going to impact the world. We need to be praying for the future of our church, which is children. See, ultimately, what all of this does is it makes us people of prayer because we see how great God is the glory that Jesus has, has given us, and then he invites us to be people of prayer. We see that prayer changes everything. And when we become people of prayer, what we notice is that, is that with God in prayer, everything's possible and anyone can change. That it's God's way of changing our hearts, our nature, our wants, our desires. And that our greatest desire would be him and prayer would not need to be an obligation, but rather the way we glorify God. That prayer need not be duty, but rather desire. That it's not out of guilt, but it's out of gladness. And we don't do it so he loves us, but because in Christ he already has. Amen? But hopefully, I want to encourage you when it comes to prayer. So we call our band forward. I'm going to close out. And what I want to do is I want to just give you some encouragement. I know maybe sometimes you feel as if God's not listening. I know maybe when it comes to prayer, it's difficult. I, I want to I just encourage you that God is still in control, that God is still listening, that God is still moving, and that God still loves you. So what I did is I posted on Facebook, and in the Redemption um, page, I, I just asked, you know, hey, does anyone have any prayers in which God has answered over 2016? And I, I just want to hear what God is doing in your life. And I was so encouraged by the responses from our friends, from folks in the congregation. I just want to read this to you and all these answers of prayers, and hopefully that encourages you in your own prayer life. All right? So listen, this one is from Sarah. I teach third grade, and I had a student come to me this year with a pretty horrible reputation. He has never made it through an entire year of school without being suspended. He has a lot of baggage, and we believe that somewhere he is on the autism spectrum, but he hasn't been diagnosed. So we are awaiting the diagnosis. I was told to be prepared for him to possibly get violent in my classroom. Anyway, before school started, I started praying. I prayed that this would be a good year for him and that we would have no issues like the past school years. I can happily report that we've had no issues this year. I love him dearly and I'm excited what God continues to do throughout the school year. Amazing. We're praying, yes. The biggest answer to prayer was finding Redemption Church and getting into a missional community. 
Recently, I've had some financial setbacks and I've been underemployed, but my group has prayed with me to find a new job. And after several months, I started this week. Jay. There we go. I got married and paid off my debt. Hey, yes, Jeremy, good job. Even though this year included another miscarriage, after years of infertility, God transformed and healed our hearts in such a miraculous way. We are now pursuing adoption, and we're at peace, and we are very, very content. Also, God has orchestrated many things, and we got a new van yesterday. He is so good. Awesome. He put Redemption Church next door to me. Here we go. That's good. It lives in the lofts next door. During our fast, I began praying for the salvation of my nephew. And at the end of the month, my husband had led him to Christ during a vacation walk in the woods. That's awesome. I'm in the very beginning stages of recovery from addiction. I knew God would help me, but I didn't know what freedom would look like. I was apprehensive about what it would be and how hard it would be. But I'm happy and excited to not be a slave anymore. I know it's a process, but I can see freedom and I like it. Also, I was able to get off uh, my sleeping pills and psych medication. That is something that I never asked for, but I feel doubly blessed to experience. I am so grateful. Yesterday, I wanted tacos. Last night, I prayed for tacos. This morning, I'm eating tacos. God is good. I love that one. My kids and myself finding a great church, home, and family at Redemption. Wendy, love you. After months of praying, my son finally came to church. That's awesome. Restoration in my family with my kids, siblings, and parents. Open doors for new ministry opportunities that I couldn't open on my own. No rent history for the past three years or job history because of my struggle with addiction. But God, despite me, opened doors. Now I have a new job and a place to live. Direct change and impact in my son this year as he has turned and given his life to Christ. Jesus changes lives, guys. I was laid off work and I felt all hope was lost. And I continued to pray for guidance and finding a job. I was offered two jobs in one week. Since then, I've been growing more confident in my faith and have been giving chances to witness to my coworkers. Amen. Two years ago, when I was in the midst of planning for my wedding, my parents were going through the roughest spot in their marriage, and they were on the verge of divorce. Even though it was the best time of my life when I got to marry my best friend, I still had a weight laying on me with my parents' situation. My dad has been out of church since I was a kid. He would read the Bible and pray, but he would never go to church. My family never stopped praying for him to wake up and realize what he was doing and what he was losing. After consistently praying for about 10 months, my, da- my dad realized that he was losing his best friend. In hopes of fixing things, he reached out to their pastor for counseling. Her pastor only agreed if they would do it together. Through counseling and through continued prayer, my mom and dad are doing amazing, and my dad is now going to church every Sunday. He listens to Christian music, and he truly hears the message and constantly hears what God is trying to teach him. It's been a wonderful miracle to see restoration in my family. Amen. Guys, I hope this encourages you in your prayers. That you know why we pray. Because we have a great God in heaven who loves you and he listens to you. And he invites you into a relationship with him. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to close out. We're going to call a prayer team forward. We're going to stand. We're going to worship. Because worship's a form of prayer. 
We're going to give of our tithes and offerings because that is in itself a form of prayer. We're going to take communion because that's a form of prayer. So I want to invite you to stand with us as we sing and we worship. But I, I would really want you to come forward. If you have anything that you need prayer for, right? if, you, if you want something like this, come forward. We want to pray for you because God moves on behalf of the prayer of his people. And we take that step in prayer. It opens the doors. It positions yourself to receive from God. So I'm going to pray. We're going to bless communion. I want to invite you to come forward for prayer. The tables are available. We serve by intinction. Pull the piece off, dip it in the cup, pray, take it, come forward and worship and prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you for prayer. God, you are good and you make a way available for us to come to you regardless of what we're going through. That you love us, you serve us, and you care. Help us this week as we pray to know why we pray and what we're praying for. Give us guidance, give us peace, give us mercy, give us redemption. We thank you for all of this. In Jesus' strong name, amen. I'm going to bless communion right quick. Come then, for all is ready. We come not because we ought, but because we may. Not because we are righteous, but because we are repentant. Not because we are strong, but because we are weak. Not because we are whole, but because we are broken. Not in order to be loved, but because we already are. The table is open. We keep the feast. The altars are open. Let us celebrate our Lord. I love you guys. Amen. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at The Gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us at 10.30 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are always welcome too. We are Redemption, and we would love to meet you.